Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and good to have you along for the ride today. Uh, we're going to be talking about truth. We're going to be talking about how truth looks in the culture right now, why so many people are uh, seemingly allergic to it, and how we as Christians can do our level best to own up to what is right and true and good and pure and lovely, and you know, and, and, and focus on the things that are, are, are definitely praiseworthy, but also be able to look at things that are not right and stand up and say, hey, you know what? There, there's something wrong here. And you know, the, the thing that is interesting about this to me is, is why it seems like we in the body of Christ often get painted with that brush of, well, there go those Christians and all they ever do is complain. And you know, to be perfectly fair, a lot of us as Christians do a lot of complaining. And I think there's a big difference between the whining, complaining type of Christianity that is often portrayed here in the United States. The difference between that and the, okay, how do we bring an uncomfortable truth to light situation um, and then, you know, work through it, work whatever the issue is. And, and there's a big difference. There's one recurring theme through all of it, first and foremost, and that theme is motivation. You know, not intention, because, I mean, the left, well, you know what they say about the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. The left has all sorts of intentions. Oh, I, I, I wanted this to be so good for people because it makes me feel good, you know. The intention was to help these people out. Well, the difference between the intention and the motivation, I mean, it's very subtle. Um, I think the difference between the intention and motivation is this. The intention to get something done says, my heart's desire is I don't want the world to be at war. I don't want people to suffer. I don't want people to go without food or shelter or whatever it is. Another big ice storm making its way through uh, parts of the, uh, the Midwest and the Northeast this weekend. I don't want anyone to lose power and freeze or, you know, whatever. Those are, those are good intentions. But behind the intention is a motivation. What's driving this? I'll be honest with you, over the past couple of years, uh, ever since my heart surgery, it's been tougher for me to exercise. Exercise has shifted from five days a week in the weight room or four days to uh, two or three days a week going for a walk. There was a season where Lisa and I were playing tennis a lot. Uh, we actually did join a little gym, had a membership for a, a, a several months at one point. But it's been over a year since we've really been diligent about our exercise, and our bodies reflect that. And Well, mine does. Lisa's looks great. <laughs> I'm the one who needs the help. But, you know, it's, it's honest, uh, honestly... There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about exercising. I mean, my, my intention for exercise is really very good. But my motivation is totally different. My motivation, the intention is, you know, if I start doing push-ups and sit-ups and maybe getting on the, actually, we've got a Peloton bike. If I start riding that every day, I'm going to see some positive results. But my motivation then is, yeah, but you know what? I've made it this way for the past couple of months and who cares? I mean, that's, that's just the simple God's honest truth. And so when you see people who have the intention versus the motivation issue all messed up, I think a lot of us in the body of Christ will, will if we're going to be honest, will say the same thing. The reason why the body of Christ has a, uh, an image problem, as a lot of Christian writers wrote about in 2023, is because we got the intention and motive thing all wrong. Case in point, few would argue in the body of Christ that homosexuality is part of that list of 1 Corinthians 6 sins of sex outside of marriage that is, you know, ungodly. It's not right. It's not just. But what do we do with that? I mean, you know, the intention 
is I want everyone to be a Christian. I want everyone to be a repentant sinner uh, who says, I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning toward the Lord. I believe by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that my sins have been forgiven and that other people can experience this good news and salvation as well. That's my intention. But what's my motivation? Well, motivation has a lot of human tendency into it. And it'll say, for example, well, you know, I don't like that lying, cheating, so-and-so to get anything good. So my motivation is to shut him down. I want to win the argument. I want to, I want to be, feel safe and secure in my own religion. I mean, that's, that's the human motivation. I mean, let, let's use that as, as just an example. I mean, for uh, example, the, the recent story the Christian Post had with regard to religious persecution. Now, love or hate Donald Trump. One of the things that the Trump administration really excelled in from 2017 through the first part of 2021 when they were in office was religious freedom and religious liberty worldwide. There is a group, uh, there, there's a, a group that the State Department focuses on. Uh, they call them CPC or countries of particular concern that are assigned to nations that have, quote, engaged in or tolerated particularly severe violations of religious freedom. When President Trump was in office, the U.S. was really, I mean, the U.S. has always done a better job than most nations in terms of standing up for people who have issues with uh, religious liberty where their rights are being taken away, they're being persecuted, things are being violated, et cetera, et cetera, all in the name of religious liberty. I mean, uh, one of the cases in point involved the, uh, the smallish group of uh, Muslims who were living in the Middle East, Yazidis, thank you, and... Um, they were being when president obama was in office the u.s kind of turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to the fact that muslim extremist islamists were really ravaging through the yazidis muslim against muslim and yet the other muslim group was being terrorized by the former because they weren't radical enough and at the same time you begin to see that in the middle east christians have been persecuted more than any other people group i mean there are more people it's a double-edged sword more people are coming to faith in christ in the middle east which is good news. But as they're coming to faith in Christ, they're becoming increasingly targeted for that Christian faith because they're in majority Muslim countries. So just as our friend and colleague, Leela Gilbert wrote in her outstanding book called Saturday People, Sunday People, first the terrorists were focusing on the Saturday people, AKA the Jews, and the ethnic cleansing of Jews throughout countries in the Middle East and Europe was just astonishing to see how few Jews there are now in Germany or France or whatever. They've been driven out of those lands. But the phrase among the Islamic terrorists was, first we come for the Saturday people, then we come for the Sunday people, meaning, quite frankly, now Christians are in the short hairs. One place where Christians have really been under the gun is Nigeria. You've probably heard that from uh, us here on the bottom line show and a lot of other leading Christian organizations that track this stuff, this type of activity. Christians in Nigeria have been just under siege for a number of years. And yet what's interesting is when the United States issues their CPC, their countries of particular concern, the State Department, we believe, has a moral obligation to say, look, we're going to call this what it is. Okay, this is not politically motivated in the sense that, well, if we say something offensive about that country, it's going to get another country all riled up. And during the Trump administration, President Trump did a really good job of saying, look, we're moving the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because it's the right thing to do, because that's the rightful place. And 35 other countries followed suit. That was not a popular decision 
according to other world leaders, I mean, you've talked to many seculars, they'll say, oh boy, that was a really dumb move on President Trump's part. But we who have ears to hear and eyes to see and the discernment of you know, our Christian faith say, hey, that was perfect because that's where God's moving. Jerusalem is ground zero for the Lord's return. So why not bring that attention? That is the rightful capital of Israel. And, and, and that was a, a brilliant decision to make. Alliance Defending Freedoms International Global Council for Religious Freedom is a guy called Sean Nelson. And in a statement last week, he made a very interesting observation. He said, more Christians are being killed in Nigeria for their faith than in every other country in the world combined right now. So we are really disappointed and deeply concerned that the Biden administration again has failed to designate Nigeria as a country of particular concern for its egregious violations of religious liberty and religious freedom. Um, this is really incredible to think, but it's, it's true. The U.S. State Department has released its annual list of countries of particular concern. And these are nations that have, and I'm using their words here for definition, engaged in or tolerated particularly severe violations of religious freedom. And for the third year in a row, 2021, 2020, no, 2022, 2023, and now the list for 2024. Nigeria is not on the list. Now, you might say, okay, well, come on, Roger, you're playing politics. I mean, what guarantee do we have that these guys were ever even considered in this mix in the first place? Well, on the other side of this break, we're going to dig back a couple of years before that and say, okay, the Biden administration has been in control of this list for the past three years, and all three years, Nigeria has not been considered, quote-unquote, a problem. But how did Donald Trump handle it? We'll take a look at that on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn, and I appreciate you, and I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the Pregnancy Resource Center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to a preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who might be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Welcome back to this edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about truth this hour. And by the way, part of the reason for the dialogue about, you know, just telling the truth and doing so with integrity and the difference between motives and intentions. Uh, Mitch Album is going to join me. Remember the guy who wrote Tuesdays with Maury? Such a great book. And then there was the TV movie came out, what, gosh, 25 years or so ago. Uh, Jack Lemmon, uh, Hank Azaria, fantastic. Uh, Mitch is a great broadcaster. 
he is a great man of Jewish faith. He and his wife, his wife is Christian, and they run an orphanage in Haiti together. Uh, God chose uh, that uh, their journey would not be one of raising children, but caring for the children in these orphanages, and, and just a great man of, like I said, of biblical faith. Um, he has a brand new book out called The Little Liar, and we're going to get into it at the bottom of the hour. Um, you're going to love this book because it's powerful. It, it focuses on telling the truth, and it uses the backdrop of Nazi Germany, World War II, the Holocaust, and a little boy who had been a truth teller up until the point where uh, something that he shared with someone in truth was misconstrued and wound up being used against him and his family uh, of Jewish descent. And it's just a fascinating story about how the truth will always seek us. He personifies truth in the story, but the truth will always seek us out. And I think that's what people don't recognize, especially on the secular left. By the way, uh, we do have a copy of the new book by Mitch Album, The Little Liar. And we'll, like I said, we're giving it away at the end of my conversation with him, which begins at the bottom of the hour. But if you want to get in on the drawing now, I know a lot of people like to call in early because Crystal takes all the names and puts them into a huge fishbowl and then, you know, <laughs> pulls out the winner's names. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, talking about truth-telling, um, one of the things, I, 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 this is sounding... <laughs> It started to sound like a campaign ad for Donald Trump. It's really not. But this is one area that the Trump administration did a great job, and that was religious liberty was a driving component in his uh, foreign uh, diplomacy. Whether it was dealing with Iraq, Iran, Israel, I mean, any of the, the I nations you can think of. And this whole country's a particular concern list that the State Department puts out every year Basically, it just says these are, I mean, anyone who, any country that engages in, and I'm quoting from their label, this is from the State Department, the, any country that engages in or tolerated particularly severe violations of religious freedom goes on the list. And I mentioned that for the past three years, the Biden administration has left Nigeria off of this list. Even though um, the terrorist group Boko Haram which basically Boko Haram has a, a, Nigeria is open season for them. They have been listed on the State Department's entities of particular concern list. They ransack Nigeria on a regular basis. But when it comes to putting Nigeria as a country of particular concern for religious liberty violations, the administration won't do it. That seems egregious and it seems unfair, but also it's not true. The reality is Nigeria is, as the Alliance Defending Freedom pointed out in their, one of their international uh, press releases, Nigeria has more violations against people of the Christian faith. There are more people killed for their Christian faith in Nigeria than just about every other country in the world combined. People are tortured, people are imprisoned, sent to concentration camps, if you will. But as far as the death toll, Nigeria is leading the league. So why is it that the Biden administration does not consider Nigeria a country of particular concern? And so then to be fair, it's like, okay, well, what did Donald Trump do? What was the Trump administration like? And to be fair, the first couple of years, evidently either it wasn't as bad as originally thought or everyone predecessors, uh, Barack Obama, George W. Bush. I mean, they, they weren't focused on this as much as well. In 2020, Donald Trump's administration added Nigeria to the countries of particular concern list by the State Department because of the increased violence against Christians. 
And then once Joe Biden took office, he pulled him off the list. And so you have to ask the question, who's telling the truth here? There are a number of religious liberty organizations that track this type of thing. Some of them, Alliance Defending Freedom has their uh, International Global Council for Religious Freedom. There are a number of other religious freedom organizations that track this type of stuff. I mean, here, here's just for example, ADF International was one of several advocacy groups that signed a letter last month that urged Congress to back a measure that would call the State Department to designate them as CPC once again. They wanted a special envoy for, for Nigeria and the Lake Chad region in particular. In the letter, they talked about the number of religious freedom violations here. They said 90% of all Christians killed for their faith worldwide were killed in Nigeria. Now add that to the fact that in the Middle East right now, the most persecuted people group for people being persecuted for their faith are Christians. The radicalized Muslims are crazy. For example, since the start of 2022, 100 Catholic priests have been kidnapped and 20 of them were murdered. If you go back to 2009, the number of Christian churches in Nigeria that have been burned is 17,000. Now that 17,000 Christian churches in Nigeria that have been burned over about a 15 year period. So on average, 1,000 churches per year are burned. And I, 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 have to, I have to warn you before I share this next statistic, this is not for the faint of heart. If you have young children who listen, I know we do hear from a lot of parents or grandparents who are doing the pick up the kids run on the way home and they like to listen to the bottom line show in the car. And I think it's great. We have, some, we have a couple of bottom line listeners who say, I listen on my transistor radio. I love that. I think that's cool. Who needs your smartphone when you got a transistor radio, right? Amen. I got a couple. I'm staring at a couple old radios here in my office right now. I mean, it's just, I love those things. The tubes have to warm up. You know, it's, it's wonderful. But I... The next statistic I'm going to share about the churches and the persecution of Nigerian Christians is it's, it's hard, but it's real. I mentioned that since 2009, more than 17,000 Christian churches in Nigeria have been burned to the ground, and a majority of those churches were set ablaze during congregational services. I, I can't imagine the kind of cruelty that would just lead somebody. I mean, how completely disconnected from reality are you? You may say the intention of these Muslim groups is to shut down. I mean, it's, it's part of their, uh, their DNA. It's in the Quran, death to the infidel, right? But the motivation is way more than just saying, you're my enemy, therefore I have to knock you out. It's all about power. And the fact that the Biden administration for the past three years looks at these statistics, knows what the truth is, and will not include Nigeria as a country of particular concern is, is horrifying. Now, why do I share that with you? I mean, because we're talking about truth. The truth is, the reality is, Christians are being martyred for their faith in Nigeria. Nigeria has more Christians killed, 90% of the Christians killed because of their faith worldwide were killed in Nigeria last year. So th this is a country that we need to be praying for and we need to be concerned about. But that whole intentions versus motives thing, this is a, 
it's a tough one to parse out. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to uh, explain why I think it's important for us to make sure that we understand what our motives are so that our intentions don't get in the way. Let's talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Truth is under the microscope today. And the difference between intentions and motives. We've been looking at the, uh, uh, the reports from, from the U.S. State Department. The Countries of Particular Concern report was released last week. And for the third year in a row, Nigeria was left off of the list, even though Boko Haram, which is headquartered, it's a Nigerian Islamic terrorist group, so that's their, those are all home games for them. Uh, was listed under the category of entities of particular concern. And the fact that 90% of Christians killed worldwide for their faith were killed in Nigeria. And yet the Biden administration literally, but it, it took Donald Trump's administration three years to say, wow, it's really heating up in Nigeria. And it has been heating up by 2020. Uh, that was added. They, Nigeria was added to the CPC list by the Trump administration. But the very next year when Joe Biden took over, uh, they took it off the list again. Intentions versus motives. What are our intentions? Well, our intentions are go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let your light so shine before others that they would see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, that people would be one to Christ, not because you're so amazing or because I've got something wonderful to say, but that they would see Christ in us. And that would draw them in. What are the motives, though? Well, our motives, first and foremost, has to be something greater than I want to win souls for Christ. Now, let me back that up again. You're going to say, wait, what? Isn't that the whole goal? The Great Commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel? Preach it to every tribe and tongue? Make disciples? Baptize those who believe in the name of the Father? Isn't that the whole motive? Well, the motive, first and foremost, has to be, am I bringing glory to God? It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I haven't told you about this yet, but I'm going to. Uh, about a couple of years ago, it was 2021, I believe, I made the acquaintance of an artist by the name of Steve Skipper. Uh, Steve was the subject of a documentary. Um, Steve is a gifted artist who had grown up in a gang life. He, uh, he was from Alabama, got involved in gangs in L.A., was selling drugs or whatever, got saved at a revival meeting. A former fellow, former gang member, uh, invited him to this meeting and he wound up giving his life to Christ. He is a self-taught artist. Basically he says, it's me and Jesus, you know, doing the, the, the work. And Steve has a painting I saw it on his website a couple of years ago. And it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's beautiful. It's got, it's, it's dimly lit with a little bit of blue coloring. I love blue, it's my favorite color. 
and it's Jesus on his knees looking to heaven. And you know, remember the prayer that Jesus prayed. He said, Father, if it be your will, prayed this prayer three times. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Knowing that the cup, I think it's the second cup in the whole Passover uh, ceremony is the cup of wrath. It's the cup of God's judgment. And it's a reminder that God judged Pharaoh and God judged the opponents of God and spared his own who had the blood on the doorpost. And so when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and he gives it to the disciples to drink, instead of a cup of bitterness and wrath, he's saying, look, I'm going to drink from that cup. You're going to drink from the new covenant, which is my blood that now pay, pay my blood, instead of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, my blood will cleanse you and purify you from all sin. But in that fully God and fully uh, human moment where he sweat, he's literally praying with the intensity where his sweat is like drops of blood. He says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And Steve's picture, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'll shoot it over to Tamara and she can put it up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's a beautiful frame thing. The caption, the title of the painting is Nevertheless. Our motive, first and foremost, has to be, am I pleasing God? Am I bringing glory to him? Are my eyes on him? Am I doing what I asked him, what he asked me to do, and what I am being asked to do? It has to be. We can't be so concerned with the result of what we do. It has to start. Our motive has to be, what does God want? What is going to please him? Not, am I going to rescue someone from sexual sin? Or I'm going to reform that prisoner or this, that, and the other thing. It's, am I going to show the love of Christ in a way that God will be honored with? Let God take care of the details. Remember the parable of the seed and the sower or the seed and the soil? Four different types of soil. Only one of them really brings an abundant crop. And yet we are instructed to fling the seed. So our motive in taking up for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are literally willing to lay down their lives for the truth of the gospel in the face knowing that their radicalized and, and just crazed neighbors are radicalized Islamists who, when you say, I am a Christian, Jesus Christ is my Lord, they're going to say, we have to kill you because that goes against our religion. You have to run that risk and be obedient and say, I'm going to preach that good news and it may cost me my life. We're not, our motive here is not, by bringing this to the attention of the Biden administration, is not to say because we want the Christians to stop being killed. First and foremost, it's to say, you realize what's going on here. I mean, everyone's going to die at some point, right? We all have an expiration date. The question isn't so much how do you die, the question is how did you live? What's your motivation? We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. And of course, please pray for our, our Nigerian brothers and sisters who are literally in harm's way every day simply by saying, I am a child of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We'll take a quick break. And as we continue talking about telling the truth and political drama and uh, its passion and intrigue, the brand new novel, The Little Liar by Mitch Album, is going to be our topic of conversation on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. 
Well, special guest joining us once again here on the Bottom Line Show for a great topic of conversation. Um, every time we get a chance to talk to the author, Mitch Album, we just uh, we smile because of the fact that this guy has such a great, unique way of storytelling. He's got a brand new novel out called The Little Liar, and uh, we've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And it's great to get a chance to spend uh, time with the guy who has written arguably one of the most successful uh, memoir novels of all time, Tuesdays with Maury. Back with a new work. Mitch Album, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Hi, Roger. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's like, and for those who are watching on myhopenow.com, we do have the Zoom thing happening now, so people get a chance to to watch us. And I was teasing Mitch before we got started here about the fact that his safe room that he's recording from here is his, actually his office. But you've got a lot of books. Are you a subscriber to someone who says, I have a lot of books and eventually I'll get to reading them? Or are those actually uh, volumes that you've had a chance to go through? Yeah, well... If this were just radio in the old-fashioned way and nobody could see where I was, I would say, oh, yes, I've read all of them. But <laughs> as you can see, if you're watching, there's way too many of them for me to have read all of them. But it is my intent to get to all of them. And they were all purchased or borrowed or loaned or whatever with the purpose of reading them. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about the little bit of the, about the to talk with you a stranger in the lifeboat and uh yeah. your, your stories are all i love the 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 storytelling obviously you're such a great storyteller but this is not just a i dreamed this up one day and thought it made an interesting story there's there's a, a kind of a biblical characteristic to it to in, in terms of the way values are actually shared well and that value being truth yeah. and i think uh you know certainly at the core of all of our faiths is the idea of truth. And I've always wanted to write a book about truth and lying. It's always fascinated me. I did my college honors thesis on, on lying, Interesting. Uh, which is, yeah. So I guess I've been planning for this for decades, but uh, I had heard a story many years ago that uh, at, at the Yad Vashem, the uh, Holocaust Memorial in Israel, when I was on a book tour there, that had inspired this and ultimately led to the story, which I'll sum up for you quickly. Um, it, it basically starts, it, it spans about 40 years, but it starts just before World War II in uh, Greece in a little city there where uh, there's a little boy named Nico who for the first 11 years of his life has never told a lie in his life. Mm -hmm. And when the Nazis invade the neighborhood, they find out about him and they decide to use him as a weapon unbeknownst to him. So they kidnap him from his family. And they say, we'll let you go back to your family. All you have to do is a little favor for us. Just stand on these railroad tracks every day and just tell the people who are getting on the trains that they're going to new jobs and new homes and everything's going to be fine. And then after a couple of weeks, you can go back. You'll be helping them and you'll be helping us. So thinking that he's telling the truth because he's never lied, he does this. And only on the very last day of the trains does he see his own family being shoved inside one of these box cars along mm. with this little girl who he's always had a crush on. Mm -hmm. And he finds out that these cars are actually going to Auschwitz mm. and he didn't know. And turns out the first lie of his life is the worst lie that he's ever going to tell. And they don't let him get on the trains. And so he's separated from everybody that he cares about. And it follows him from that moment for the next 40 years. It follows him, the little girl who he has this crush on, what happens to her, his older brother who gets sent to the concentration camps and blames him for that, and the Nazi who tricked him. And it shows the effect of that one lie on all of their lives over the course of the 40 years as they interconnect and, and he seeks forgiveness 
which is another big theme of of, of yeah, it's amazing the book the little liar the brand new novel by mitch album is up at the bottom line show.com and as you uh, dissected that story down so succinctly in just a couple of minutes it's a fascinating read but when you talk about truth i mean one of the biggest challenges i think why this is such a perfect work for today is I hear the term my truth and your truth a lot, you know, from people yeah. who are, you know, and they're, I think people really, they're just ex expressing, this is what I experienced. You know I mean? They're not necessarily saying it's quote unquote truth, but you're actually challenging us, Mitch, in this book to, to take a look at truth as used incorrectly, truth used, you know, in its more sinister form, you know, when it's used deceptively and how we could come to terms with that. Talk about the, the, how you, how do you, did you put these story arcs together? I mean, where were you coming from? But you said there was a, a bit of an inspiration, but I mean, ultimately it's got right. to come from you. Well, yes, it comes from me and, and, and my feelings and thoughts and things that I've learned over the decades of writing and, uh, and dealing with some very smart people like Maury and the pastors and rabbis that I've out in some of my earlier books. And the idea of truth, first of all, the reason I said it during World War II wasn't that I wanted to write a Holocaust book per se, uh, but I felt that that period of time was when truth was most abused, at least in recent history, mm. because the Nazis didn't do what they did because they had bigger guns. They did right. what they did because they had bigger lies. They lied to their own people. They lied to the world. They, they covered up everything that they did. Uh, they tricked all these Jewish people. Even, even on those train tracks that I talked to you about, they would actually give people receipts for their luggage. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, you know, hey, we're taking your bags, here's receipts for your luggage when you get there. And also give us all of your money and we're going to give you a receipt. When you get there, you turn it in, you get money in Polish Zlatkis, you know. What I, and people did this because they trusted them. That's the extent of their lies. So that period of time was ripe for a story like this. And then the thing that I think really made this book jump and, 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 and it's what I've heard now that it's been out a little bit and I've heard from a lot of people who've read it is that the narrator of the book is truth. Hmm. So it's not me, it's not a third person, it's not a first person, it's a carrying a book, it's truth. And truth begins by saying, you know, you can trust the story you're about to hear. You can trust it because I'm the only thing in this world you can trust. I'm the mirror that holds your final reflection. You know, I am truth and this is a story about a boy who tried to break me. And so throughout the course of the book, truth is telling you what frequently steps away and says, look what you've done to me. You know, look how you destroy me. I'm a virtue and, and look at how you lie. Look at the damage you do when you take me for granted or when you And so I was able to sort of have outside focus on the real big issue of the book by making the narrator the real big issue. of Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that's so important for us to understand, especially when we look at not only the story on the surface, but what's behind the story. Mitch Album is with me today here on The Bottom Line. The Little Liar is the brand new novel. It just came out, and it's a, just tearing up the well everything that Mitch writes. It must be nice to have that Midas touch knowing when you release something. Do you ever get the sense, Mitch? I mean, I, I ask you this just as a, as a professional writer. You know that you've had a great run. I mean, how many 20, 30 years of just, you know, putting out novel after novel after novel, some TV adaptations, movies, I mean, things of that nature. Do you ever get the sense that sometimes you're writing something and saying, if this doesn't sell more than five copies, I don't care because I really feel like I needed to write this? Yes, um, frequently. Yeah. And this was one of those books. Really? Okay. Because uh, I, I grew up, yes, this was one of those books. Tuesdays with Maury was certainly one of those books. Uh, because nobody wanted it. I mean, you know, when I went around to different publishers to tell them this idea of this dying old man 
who was teaching a last class on what was important in life to a wayward student, they all said it was too boring or too depressing. And we did it to pay his medical bills. And so that was my first example of, well, I don't care if it sells or not. I need to, I need to sell the book to a publisher so that we can get the money so I can pay his medical bills. Who buys mm -hmm. it after that right. doesn't really change anything. And so I, I was kind of birthed into, you know, big time authoring with that idea in mind that it doesn't matter if it sells or not. What matters is what I the reason I did it. And there have been a number of books since then. I mean, I don't want to pre pretend that I'm the kind of person who doesn't care if his books sell. I think all authors would like their sure. books to sell. But I wrote a book about a, a, a little girl that we adopted. This is a true story from our orphanage in Haiti that I operate. Um, and I didn't care if that sold one copy or not. I, mm -hmm. She died from a brain tumor when she was seven. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I had to write the book to introduce her to the world because the world would never get a chance to meet her again. You know, mm -hmm. we had adopted her as our daughter and she mm -hmm. had lived with us. So that book, I mean, read it or not, I, you know, I wanted I wanted to set a record of her life that someone who read it would know her since they wouldn't come here. This yeah. book, I grew up, Roger, in a neighborhood where there were a number of older Jewish people who uh, used to wear long sleeves, you know, where, where, whenever mm -hmm. they everywhere, mm -hmm. even in the summertime. And I remember asking my mother, how come they're wearing those long sleeves it's so hot outside? And. And she said, well, they have numbers tattooed on their on their forearms and they don't want people to see. And and I said, why not? And she said, well, I'll tell you when you're older, you know, as a little boy. And, you know, those people are gone now for the most part. They're not here to tell their story. And I read about how we have this whole young generation that's coming up that isn't quite sure if the Holocaust really happened or not. It right. might have been exaggerated a little. That's what mm. the old, our old grandparents told us. That's very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And so I felt that, uh, you know, even for those people, some of whom are in my family, who had those numbers, who at least once in my career, if I was going to be blessed with success, um, I needed to do at least one story that perpetuated the idea that you cannot forget what happened when truth became unimportant and how many people suffered and died as a result of it, because we live in a time, as you know very well, by reading the headlines, that that type of thing could very easily happen again. So yes, this was one of those books also that, you know, if it doesn't sell a copy, I still feel I had to do it. Fortunately, it, it seems to be selling some copies. So <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure there will be a few more after. Our, yeah, I think that's wonderful. Mitch Album, The Little Liars, the new novel that is up at the thebottomlineshow.com and several thousand few people have uh, actually purchased this. You, you talk about the, the Holocaust and, and your Jewish upbringing and, and the fact that this was a story that kind of was told but not told, you know, in the neighborhood when you were growing up and now it needs to be a little more clear. Um, in your family now, your family, you mentioned you and your wife uh, adopted, started an orphanage, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, she brings a Christian perspective, from what I understand, to your writing and things like that. How do you bounce ideas off of her? Or do you just kind of get the manuscript all done and say, here, honey, take a look. What do you think? I mean, what, what how does she partner with you in that respect? Well, actually, it's a, it's a very devout Christian. It's that we operate in Haiti 14 years every month is a Christian orphanage. So Christianity is a, a huge part of my life. And Christian tenets and Christian ideals are a huge part of my life. And my wife, um, I always say that, you know, I, I tease people. I say my wife's never read a single one of my books because I read them to her as mm -hmm. I'm writing them. Wow. And she'll come in this office where, well, I don't know if everybody can see, but 
in the office where I'm talking to you from, she'll sit right over there on this little couch and I mm -hmm. write yeah. right over here, which you can't see. So she can't see me and I can't see her face and I will read her um, as I'm doing it. And she likes to hear the story out loud and she'll offer me her thoughts and we sit so she can't, I can't see her because I don't want to see a look of disappointment on her face <laughs> when I write a sentence or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it would be it would be safer if I just don't see the visceral reaction. But every sure. now and then I'll 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 finish a paragraph or a chapter and she'll go, hmm, you know, or like that. And I'll say, oh, that was good. Okay, I'll mm -hmm. keep that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she she gives me a tremendous amount of of insight, um, and I'm lucky lucky to have her in my life for yes. many many years. But that's that's one of them. One of one of your I, I wrote something uh, for my wife on our anniversary about her being my best friend and my toughest critic. And she came to me with tears in her eyes and said, really, am I that hard on you? I said, no, honey, it's a good thing. I mean, we we all need someone who will tell the truth to us like that. Yeah. And for you, you guys are are blessed in that regard. Uh, Mitch Album's new novel, The Little Liar, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I highly recommend it. We're having a great conversation with Mitch today. And if you're listening to this on our radio broadcaster podcast, make sure you go to myhopenow.com. And you can see all those places Mitch just described. We've got a couple moments left in our conversation here, Mitch, and I have two questions, one of more of a serious nature and one maybe not a little more lighthearted. So we'll do the serious one first. And that is when someone picks up this book, I mean, you talk about the reaction your wife was giving you in hearing you read the story. I mean, you read so uh, expressively and descriptively. Your radio background obviously plays very nicely into your writing. Um, what is the reaction you were looking for from a reader who said, were you hoping they'd say, boy, this is a little different? from Mitch or what What was overall? I know the reactions I had, but I'm curious to get where you were hoping to touch our hearts and minds with this one. So first of all, I always want my readers to be moved. Um, I am a little different than a lot of other authors who might just think I have a great idea for a story or a great idea for a character or a plot. And, and just the storytelling in and of itself is enough for them. Right. Um, uh, for me, I, I can't put the effort into a book that it takes me to do it because it's a it's like lifting you know boulder, mm -hmm. unless I feel that there's some kind of lesson to come out of it when it's done, something to resonate with people, not just to say oh that was an interesting story or good character, but something that makes people think. So I would like people to leave the little liar by thinking about three total things: one, <clears throat> the precious nature of truth, and that. I want them to ask themselves, what's the biggest lie you ever told? What were the ramifications of that lie? Who suffered? Who, who, what relationship was, did it cost? Did it destroy a business? Did it destroy a family? Did it break up a, you know, what, what was the consequence? And realize the consequences of, of our lives. And two, what would you do to be forgiven that lie? And that's the second thing I'd like them to take out of because the book is very much about forgiveness. It's not set all during the Holocaust. The first, quarter of it is during those years. But after the concentration camps and the horrors that we see and all the rest of it, then it's about how do the, the, the four people who I follow live with the consequences of the lie that Nico was forced to tell, the little boy. Mm -hmm. And he spends his whole life trying to be forgiven for what wow. he's done, trying to make up for it, even though it wasn't his fault. And the girl who we always loved, even though they were 11 and 12, um, she spends her whole life trying to find him to forgive him because she knows mm. deep down he's he's a good soul and so the the need to forgive the need to be forgiven and the need to forgive is a huge part of the book and i'd like people to think about that um and lastly as i always want people to think for my books hope 
Uh, I have, I, because the book, while it has some dark moments, obviously you can't talk about that period of time without describing that in the end, it's an inspirational and hopeful story. And, and that pretty much follows all of my books, even, even the ones that involve people dying and things like that. Certainly Tuesdays with Maury was about a man dying the whole book, right. but I don't think people would describe that book as depressing or death or no, no. if anything, it's hopeful and inspirational. And I have been Roger. I've been teased over my my life and and criticized for being too hopeful. And uh, there, was, there was a there was a book critic who wrote a whole piece on one of my books, ripping me left and right. And the, at the last paragraph, as a way of kind of hurling a final insult, he says he's just the king of hope. And I remember thinking like that's that's a good throne. To right. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't mind if people feel that that's hokey or or or. Uh, you know, not literary enough, you know, you need to be negative and angst ridden in order to be literary. I don't care about that stuff. I want people to feel hope. And, um, and the book does end on a hopeful note. And so those are the things I'd like for them to take out of The Little Liar. Oh, it's a great book, Mitch Album, The Little Liars, up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since we're talking about hope, just at the end, Lions, Wolverines, is this the Tiger's year? Oh, you're taking it a little too far there. <laughs> I mean, even the king of hope isn't that. Yeah, I mean, there's the king of hope, and then there's the uh, the, the the Joker of hope. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, maybe they'll improve, but they're not going to World Series. But we are very excited around here in Detroit as you're speaking to me. Uh, you know, uh, the the Michigan Wolverines just won the national championship. Right. The Lions are hosting a home playoff game for the first time in 30 years. I was hmm. at the last one 30 years ago, wow. and so I'll be at this one uh, 30 years later. So, um, yes, we're very optimistic about our football chances, but baseball, uh, we have a few more few more chapters to go on that. We always still have Al Kaline and Norm Cash, and, you know, we, we, we can, you know, there you go. Yeah. It'll always be, always be 68. 68, 84. right? 84, right. Okay, that's very good. Well, Mitch, thank you for the book. Thank you for the conversation. I know it's been a great encouragement to our listeners. Thank Mitch Album, The Little Liars, up at thebottomlineshow.com. Thanks for being with us today here on the program. My pleasure, Roger. Thank you. Oh, such a refreshing dialogue. And Mitch, you, I will take you up on that opportunity to have you back on the program anytime we can. Mitch Album, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new novel is called The Little Liar. It's a powerful story about the truth. And I'm going to get into the metaphor in the story in just a moment. But first, as we say goodbye to Mitch Alban for today, and we offer our uh, good wishes and, and good luck. I, guess, I didn't say good luck, but hope the Lions do well this Sunday in their game against the Rams. Uh, we do have one copy of this book to give away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, uh, for a guy who is a professing Jew, who's married to a Christian, um, her, his wife's Christian faith really rubbed off on Mitch Album a lot in this new novel. And on the other side of this break, we're going to look at the allegory and see how it pertains to each of us to hopefully help us better understand not only how the gospel has transformed our lives, but how we can help others see how the gospel can transform their life as well. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trusts. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays 
an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out. So you can see it's definitely not a REIT. Or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that are based even higher amounts for funds over 250000 Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. My thanks again to award-winning author, broadcaster, novelist, uh, philanthropist, uh, Mitch Album for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his brand new book called The Little Liar. Uh, the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book we're giving away today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I should point out, we have a number of uh, devotional materials, uh, resources from Dr. Michael Youssef, from Dr. David Jeremiah, and others of our programmers, Dr. Jeremy McGarity at Skyline Church. If you are in a situation on one of these giveaway days where you call in and you're trying to win the book because you think, I know somebody who would read this book and say, oh my gosh, this is really great. And then we can use it as a, a launching point to discuss faith in Christ. Um, if you don't win the book today, uh, be sure to ask Crystal, if, if you make your best case and say, look, there's somebody I know who needs a little encouragement. I'm looking for something to help them come to faith in Christ. Uh, we have a gazillion books here in our in our library we've got devotionals we've got a lot of other things too if you really have a friend who is in need and time is of the essence um go ahead and make your best case and, and she's she's a sweetheart and i know that she'll find something for you so it kind of transcends the, the winning of the book and the dvd and the tickets and stuff that's fun i mean right we have a good time with that but ultimately there has to be a reason you know what's the motive behind it and the motive behind it for us is to be obedient to god first and foremost, but then hoping that that obedience leads to transformation. We have a mandate from God. Uh, we have a couple of mandates that Jesus instituted in his final moment before the crucifixion and in his final moment before his ascension. The one right before the crucifixion, of course, is a new commandment I give you, love one another, John 13, 34. The whole world will know, verse 35, that you are my disciples if you love one another. The second is in Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20, and Mark 16, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, you know, make disciples, baptize the new believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He basically lays it out. You make the gospel presentation, explain to people that they are sinful from birth, can't free themselves from that sin, need a savior. God is a loving God who wants to spend eternity with you, but you can't dwell in his presence in your current state. So you need a savior. Jesus Christ is the savior. You need a way to pay for your sin. The blood of Jesus pays for the sin. You need a way to stand before God righteous and the blood of Jesus also, in addition to paying the debt debt of your debt, also wipes your record clean. So now that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinful self, he sees his son. And that's how this whole process works. And for those who are in need of a savior, which is everyone, that salvation is available, but you have to receive it. You have to believe that that is in fact true. As my friend, Pastor Rob Warren says, and I give him credit for this all the time. If I told you there's a million dollars in the bank, you'd say, well, of course it's a bank, right? 
If I told you it was an account, you'd say, well, of course, they have lots of different individual accounts. But if I told you there's an account with your name on it that has a million dollars, you would say, what do I have to do to get it? You step forward and not that you didn't do anything to, to earn that or whatever. All you have to do is receive it. You have to walk into the branch and say, hi, it's me, Roger Marsh. I'm here to claim my million dollars that's in an account set aside for me. So the, the people that say, well, work salvation and that type of stuff. Well, there is something you have to do. If Jesus makes the offer. We have to respond to it. And you're going to respond one way or the other. There are only two options, yes or no. That's all there is to it. The thing I liked so much about Mitch Albom's book, The Little Liar, is the fact that here's this little boy, Nico, who always told the truth up until he was 11 years of age. Something happens to where now that gets compromised and now he thinks of himself as a fraud. And he winds up, you know, he's separated from his family, of course, concentration camp. And he spends the next 40 years basically on the run from himself. He's so horrified by what he's done. Doesn't realize that a little girl that he was kind of sweet on when he was younger wants him to know that it's okay. And I mean, that, that what he did, you know, it, it wasn't what he did was wrong. It's that someone had taken what he had done and used it against the family. And so now you basically have the truth of the situation that there is forgiveness for what he did following him for the next 40 years. And I can't help but think of the pursuit that God was in for me, for you. You know, the, the Western modern culture makes it sound like a wooing and winning, like we're the damsel in distress somehow, and God's going to fight through, you know, climb the tower and fight off the dragon and all that stuff. And all we have to do is sit there and bat our eyes and fan ourselves a little bit and wait for God to come and court us. And then, you know, he's so madly in love with us, he's going to try to get us to fall madly in love with him. It's not like that. I, that, that's a really great movie plot for somebody, but it's, I don't, it's not like that at all. Here's the deal. When we're in sin and we are dead and dying and we're looking for that lifeline. And God says, look, you're in a mess right now. Your, your sin is that egregious. But I've been pursuing you with the truth. And the truth is you're a sinful person, but there's a way out of this sin. There's a way for you to not have to be affected by the sin that would scar you and sentence you to death. There is a way for you to have everlasting life. And that everlasting life starts the moment the Holy Spirit enters your heart. It begins the moment you say, I'm a sinner, I need salvation. Jesus, I believe that you died to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that your death on the cross absolves me of that sin and makes a way for me to repent when I do continue to sin because the sanctification thing is a process. Come inhabit my life. You're my savior, be my Lord from this day forward. And that's not a sinner's prayer or anything like that, but that's in essence what happens. And the first thing that happens is, okay, wait, newness of life, where's the water? I need to be baptized. I need to literally have my old self crucified, submerged in the water, and then the new self comes up out of the water. Jesus has already gone into the, the tomb for us. So our old selves are washed clean from the inside out. I need to find my brothers and sisters. We need to fellowship together. We need to commune together around the Eucharist. I mean, the Eucharist means fellowship and thanksgiving. And I need that. That's who I am. That's who I will continue to be. And as you partake in that good news and in that fellowship, you begin to realize, oh, wow, 
the truth wasn't so scary after all. The truth is, yes, I'm a sinner, but there is a means for salvation. That is good news, isn't it? And that's the bottom line. Last chance to get in on the drawing for Mitch Albom's book, The Little Liar, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For those who remain on the network, the National Crawford Roundtable coming up next as the bottom line continues.